If this is Austin, I still love you. And so he took in after these boys his own me and 
he beat him off of me with that roll of meat. And uh, when I got loose on him, he told me, he said, now you run him as hard as you can. I'll hold him off until you get a half a block run on him. So I took out for home. Well, old Coo J, of course, he went on back and put that meat in the basket and delivered it. I guess he tenderized it a little bit because uh, I never did hear about anybody complaining about the quality of the meat. One very interesting thing that happened uh, when we were little boys, well, uh, Papa bought this uh, building down there. Well, it was It's not the same building now, but he bought a building there right across from where the Baptist Church is now uh, on Monroe and Con- South Congress Avenue. But Papa's building was over on the, the east I mean, the west side of Congress Avenue. The corner building was occupied by uh, Parker. Mr. J.T. Parker had a grocery store, and then going north where McBee's court, or the Justice Peace Court, was there for years. Well, that was the Wordle Bakery. Papa uh, bought this building, and he rented it to Mr. Wordle, who was a baker. And uh, they lived uh, in a little old uh, house right next to the bakery. But uh, there was a boy named Parker, was a delivery boy for Mr. J.T. Parker. No kin to him, but... Yeah, they all delivered with uh, their groceries by uh, horses and, and little old uh, carts. And so they had a, Mr. Parker had a little old uh, barn in the back of his store, and you had to go from the barn into the back of the store to get the groceries. And the Wordle boy, there was Nick Wordle, was about uh, folks' age, and Charlie was about my age, and there was a number of the girls, and, and uh, Mr. Wordle had five or six kids there, and we was all the best of friends at times, and we were in school together, and I've made their wills and represent them. One of the girls right now works in the probate department at the courthouse, and she's feeling like she's a sister to me. And so they had, uh, the world of kids were just like we were. They were mean. And Charlie and Nick would wait for old Parker, this old Parker boy, uh, or not Roy Parker, but uh, uh, his Roy's brother. And he'd come in from a delivery of groceries, and then he'd watch and look out and see where the... Where the uh, Wordle boys was because he had to run just hard as hell to get in the store before they hit him with a rock. They'd hide out behind the fence or something and throw at him. Well, at the time come when Papa thought that he ought to put a sign on the north side of this building, uh, a bakery, so that the people and coming out from South Austin know that Mr. Wordle was in business. He was not only whole... Well, in those days, you didn't have much of a wholesale business. It was all retail. He'd come in, buy you loaves of bread and, and buy snails and things like that. And So Johnny and, and this old Parker boy decided uh, Papa's going to let them do the painting. Well, they painted a sign about six feet high, had ladders, and it took them, oh, two or three weeks to do the painting, and they, they had to do it above the windows uh, on the north side of the building. And while they was on these ladders and painting this sign up above them, well, these Wordle kids would, uh, Nick and, and Charlie, would uh, try to open up a window and show the ladder over. And they had a big game going on, and they developed quite a little bit of a feud there. And one time, well, Charlie... Uh, Wordle, uh, didn't know where Johnny was on the ladder, and Johnny had this bucket of paint up there, and it was some black paint. And so Johnny was watching for him. They had as much fun uh, playing that game as they did painting, so Johnny had a, a, a paintbrush full of paint, and Charlie looked out to wonder to see where Johnny was, to, so he was going to push the ladder over, and when he did, Johnny slapped him in the face with this big old big old thing of paint. And uh, it things like that went on, but finally the, the job was finished, and when they got the, the bakery written, well, then about uh, to show who did it, they uh, painted down in the right-hand uh, corner at the bottom, Shelton and Parker. They were the sign painters, and their uh, uh, names were almost as big as the sign the sign itself was. And they were offered mine it, and, and of course the Wordle children all come out to see if the game was over. The sign was painted, and Mrs. Wordle was out there, too, and there they were all standing looking at that. And uh, Nick says, uh, Shelton and Parker. 
I think shit and shit would sound better or look better. And <laughs> Mr. Wardle said, yeah, I think so myself. Well, they were still the finest of friends, and we had a big kick out of that thinking about it. There was an instance uh, that happened at our whole home there when we was on 211 West Live Oak. We had those two big oak trees in the middle of the, I mean, in the front yard, and we climbed all over them all the time, and they were two of the younger wise boys. As Foster was Johnny's age, and Homer was Polk's age, and they'd come up on Saturdays and in the summertime and visit around with us, and we'd visit around with them. Well, in those days, we had these little old uh, thing made out of a cedar sparked cedar stick that you could hold in your in your hand and had rubber band on them and we called them the shooters. You could put a little pebble in them and pull them back with the rubber and shoot and we could uh, he- shoot uh, chickens and birds and things like that from oh a hundred feet or so, two hundred feet off. And Coach Foster Wise was one of the best uh, shots that we had out there. Well, one morning uh, it, I don't know whether it's on a Saturday or Sunday morning or whether it was just during the summertime. Well, Foster was laying up in the forks of the tree on the west side of, of our yard on, uh, on West Live Oak there. And the chickens in those days all stayed down around the barn, and we had a, a two big old uh, oak logs that Papa had gotten and to make a sty to get over the fence to go from the house down to the barn. And, of course, the chickens always got caught the hell around the house there, and the chick- old Tishy would throw their scraps out in the backyard, and they'd sneak off up there when none of the boys was around, and and grab a bite and then run back down to the barn. Well, we had a big old red rooster at that time, and Mama was very proud of the old rooster. And uh, he was off down at the barn, and he was walking off up toward the house to see if it was safe to try to make a run by the scrap heap. And he, he got behind one of these big old oak uh, logs because he knew that one of the boys throw a rock at him or something. If Mama wasn't looking, we'd do that. So there was Foster Wise laying up in this box of this tree about 100 feet away, and he saw this old rooster coming up. And the rooster could smell something wrong, but he got up behind the log and he stuck his head out. That's all he stuck his head out and looked up toward the house to see if, if anybody was around. And old Foster cut down on him. You didn't hit him right in the, in the head, and he killed Mama's rooster. Well, he fell out of the tree and took out. And uh, one of us saw him, and we told on him, of course. The only reason we told on Foster was because we didn't want Mama to think that any of us did it, because she'd beat us up pretty good for that. As it was, we just had chicken and dumplings for Sunday dinner. There was one other incident we had with the deaf and dumb boys. And on Saturday mornings, when we didn't have anything to do, we'd go off down to, if they didn't come up to South Congress to stir up a fight, we'd go down South First Street and come in there south of their athletic field where it is now and get up close to their grounds. And there was a little hill in there that kind of fell off a little bit where we could hide behind it on the south. And they'd come <clears throat> down in the athletic field and play and and we'd get up and make nasty uh, signs at them, and then they'd come to run us off, and we'd have a rock fight. So uh, the Coon boys, uh, Charles Coon was the oldest, and Perry Coon was the next, and they was about Edgar and Earl's age. And Charles Coon was, had gotten hold of a little old toy cannon of some kind. It wasn't really a toy. It was made out of cast iron and had an opening of about a half an inch in the front of it, and it, it had a barrel in it, and it was built like these old kind of during the Revolutionary War. It had two little knobs on the back of it and a little round ball on the end of it, but it's all cast in one piece. But it did have a fuse hole where you could load it with powder and uh, then light it in the, uh, through that fuse hole and run and, and hit it fire. So we conceived the idea of, of coaxing these deaf boys to, to make a charge on us up that hill, and, and then we're going to fire uh, a bunch of... Uh, scrap or ro- rocks or something at them when they got pretty close to us. So 
We slipped down there one morning, early one Saturday morning, and we built a rock pile because we didn't have any way to anchor the thing. We had to put a whole lot of rocks on it to be sure it didn't, when it went off, it didn't get us instead of them because it was bound to go one way or another if you didn't have it tied down. So we loaded this thing with with the powder and put some kind of little old wire or something in there, just enough to salt to shoot at them. And, of course, they couldn't hear the sound, so that wouldn't have scared them. It scared us more than it did them. So we got that cannon loaded right on the brow of that hill, and <clears throat> we put rocks all over. We stacked it real high with rocks. And so we got, one of the boys went off down the hill far enough where they could see us, and they knew it was time for the battle, and they gave him, thumped his nose at the boy, and here they come. And so somebody had a long tender or something, they lit this cannon, and then we took out and run, got about 100 feet from it, and as they come over the brow of that hill, well, this cannon went off. Well, instead of it firing anything out the mouth of it, it just uh, knocked all the rocks we had piled up in every direction. Of course, it scared the deaf children because they didn't know what was going on. And, uh, they run back long enough for us to get a whole hot cannon and take it on home. There was another instance that happened that I'm not too proud of. But when I was about 13 years old, <clears throat> Papa got me a 22 rifle. And I was running around with Joe Thorne Gilbert then and, and Tom Martin Davis and those boys that lived over on West Avenue. And Dr. Gilbert had a farm down around Hornsby's Bend, somewhere down around Weberville. And, and uh, so Joe Thorne would come out and visit in my home some Saturdays, and then I'd go over to visit <coughs> with him. So one Saturday we decided we'd go down to Dr. Gilbert's farm. And so we went down to Weberville. We had a hike. We drove the streetcar line out as far as the oil mill, and we walked. And uh, as far as that age, we got bored going along, and we noticed a telephone line in there with these glass insulators. So... We proceeded to take my 22 rifle and shoot these insulators, these glass insulators, and we had practically all the wire from the east part of Austin to Weberville laying on the ground out there. And it wasn't long before the news got out about the next day when Papa found out about it. And he actually took my little old 22 rifle out in the backyard, and he wrapped it around a tree. And that was the last of my 22 rifle. But we kids were awful good rock throwers. Now, they had these glass insulators on, on all the telephone lines in those days, and, and uh, I could take a rock, and Pete Seawright's out in South Austin, we hunted rabbits with rocks, and we could go down uh, on an isolated area where these glass insulators were up there, and we could we could knock them off with rocks. And uh, we kept some of them pretty well uh, in Travis Heights, Pete Seawright and me, and uh, Davis Reeves, and Tommy Davis, and and the Steiner boys, we kept a lot of those glass insulators on the ground. So that's where we'd practice. We just practiced a throwing it at, at uh, a target as a break. And P.S., if this is Austin, I still love.